So we talked about um, the Beanie first part, which was more kind of about the feeling that you know he is definitely with his style and his approach, uh, not one over everybody uh, in the locker room. That's for sure. And again, um, to me, you know, uh, not making it super, uh, you know, black and white, but it's like you're either like you know it's just not going to work or man up on the other end and you guys have done nothing but lose here forever and toughen up and take the tough coaching and take whatever approach he's using. You know, if it's a very difficult approach in, in, in trying to get his tasks, uh, as a taskmaster uh, through to you, take it and see if it ultimately works out. But there's definitely been some grumbling on that end. And then we get to, the kind of offense um, that we've seen all year with all of the pass attempts, et cetera. And so I'll just read from the story here from John Kime and Jeremy Fowler's ESPN story. Like the Chiefs, Biennemi's offense includes a lot of passing. The commanders spent significant time with the passing game all offseason with quick throws and run-pass option plays used as an extension of the running game. That theme has persisted in the regular season with the commanders leading the league with 509 passing attempts through Week 13, 59 more than any other team. This is an area several team sources believe Rivera should have addressed with Biennemi on occasions that called for running the football. But in line with the authority Rivera gave Biennemi over the offense, the head coach did not meddle in Biennemi's offensive plan. After a 14-7 loss to the Giants on October 22nd, Terry McLaurin was critical of the scheme, lamenting the low number of fades and crossing routes called for him against the Giants' blitz. Hal threw McLaurin his first fade late in the third quarter for a 27-yard game. Quote, McLaurin after the game said, I would definitely like to see us continue to get those up early because I think it really forces defenses to play more honest. They can't blitz and the safeties are at 10 to 12 yards. They can't do that if you're beating them down the field. McLaurin, who was held without a catch in Sunday's loss to the Dolphins, has met weekly with Biennemi since that public criticism. While changes in both on and off the field approach have prevailed since Biennemi came aboard, the wins have not followed, and the offense has scored 20 or fewer points in four of the past five games. The losing has amplified some of the grumbling, both about Biennemi's style, which was addressed in that first part of this you know thing, and play calling. But Biennemi's defenders insist the complaints are unfair to a coach trying to revamp a system with mediocre talent in some areas. This is a quote from an executive with another NFC team. Quote, he took over a tough situation there in Washington and has worked hard to correct it. They needed a culture shock there. I think he's probably helped his profile. Closed quote. Rivera agrees that should be the narrative around Biennemi rather than any dissension with his methods. What he's doing with our quarterback right now shows he's capable. Are we struggling? Yeah, we're struggling, but there's more things to it. 
Um, and then there's one last line about this towards the end after there's a lot of conversation about Rivera and Del Rio. The coordinator changes cast a pall over Rivera's future because of how much faith and responsibility he places in them. Several team sources said Rivera defers to his coordinators on decision-making, sometimes to a fault. One team source said, quote, Ron needed to take more ownership, closed quote. So that is kind of the gist of what I think is the most interesting part of this story. There is um, a lot towards the end of the story about what's next and, you know, actually to a certain degree, the people in the building who still believe in Ron as what, you know, many called him a good man. Andrew Wiley said, we believe in Coach Rivera. We're rallying behind him. Um, But uh, they also said that Ron had had this three-word mantra, you know, kind of a team serving as team pillars over the years, attitude, preparation, and effort. And the Rivera would use that, um, you know, uh, at the beginning of meetings, attitude, preparation, and effort. And for whatever reason, one front office source said, the players just didn't seem to be fired up this year, and Rivera stopped using that mantra this year. Um, anyway, uh, but the source also noted that Rivera showed more fire on the sidelines around the midseason mark as he sensed the urgency with a season that was slipping away. He said, quote, I see him getting into huddles, talking to players, and getting on referees. So there you go. For me, I think the Harris, you know, kind of influence, if you want to even call it influence, the suggestion that he made about being in favor of trading Chase and Sweat was interesting. And then the stuff on Biennemi, because... Look, beyond this article, we've talked a lot about Eric Bieniemy, and there is a lot that I think many of us have been hearing about Eric Bieniemy. I'm simply as, you know, on a weekly basis, I've been simply just telling you what I think about what I saw on the field, which is the part we see. We're not out there. Clearly, going back to training camp, though, when Ron Rivera, very, I think, inadvisedly, um, you know, it, 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 it was not advised, I don't think, that he actually admit publicly that players were coming to him grumbling about Eric Bieniemy's style. Um, but this has been an ongoing thing. This is a style over substance thing, maybe at a minimum, um, and maybe it's more than that. Um, but kind of like the sack issue with Sam Howell, we, re- we realized, you know, pretty early in this season why he fell to the fifth round. I think, you know, certainly we understand why a lot of teams, you know, that had an opportunity to make a run at Eric Bieniemy in the last offseason decided not to. And it's style, you know. And I think there are lots of different views on this, especially when we're talking about a team and an organization that's done nothing but lose for years. And, you know, are you going to continue to do things the same way over and over again? Well, you're just going to get the same results. And Eric Bieniemy came in from a winning organization with two Super Bowl rings and said, I got a different way of doing it. 
And if you give me the autonomy, we're going to do it a different way. And you're probably not going to love me all the time because I'm going to be your harshest critic, but I'm also going to be your biggest fan when you do it the right way. And maybe this is exactly what they needed with some sort of kick in the ass. However, let's be clear here. 13 games into this, and maybe it's too early to come to you know a conclusion on Eric Bieniemy. But 13 games into it, and we've got this story where players are still, you know, grumbling, and this is not gone. You know, perhaps if they had started to play better instead of regressed here recently, if they were still in the fight competitively in the season, maybe you get more buy-in. Eventually, style is important if the substance and the winning doesn't follow, and sometimes it needs to follow pretty quickly. What do you guys think? 301-230-0980. I've said this before recently. I just don't think Eric Bieniemy is going to be back here next year with the new regime. That would be my guess. I have no knowledge of that because nobody knows who's going to be hired as the new, as the new general manager and then as the new head coach. But I would certainly imagine just practically that – if they end up hiring an offensive head coach, which, you know, there's a chance, I would I would bet that there's a better chance it's an offensive head coach than a defensive head coach, in part because there are more candidates out there that are offensive-oriented than defensive-oriented, although there are some really solid defensive young um, uh, head coaches out there. Um, but, you know, an offensive head coach is going to be the offensive decision maker. He's going to be the, you know, the de facto OC as well. And so that is what I would say, you know, is probably where, you know, the tea leaves are pointing in terms of we do know Rivera and company will be gone, and the only thing that we've contemplated is whether or not Eric Bieniemy would be asked back by a new regime, and I would say that the odds are stacked heavily against that. And I would certainly say, as I've said before, I don't think that Eric Bieniemy is going to be a candidate to be the head coach here in Washington. I don't. Will he get interviewed? Possibly. And if he does get interviewed, then technically he's a candidate. We'll see how it shakes out. What do you guys think? 301-230-0980, 301-230-0980. The Ace Law listener lines are open. In a rec, Ace Law helps you get a check. Call 8888-ACE-LAW. Let's start with my guy, G, from the shop. What's up? Did you stay up and watch Clippers Nuggets last night? G, hey. did you hey. watch? Did no, no, G, G had a game. Little okay. G had a well, that, right. ga- that game was at 10.30 last night. No, nah, but you know, I'd be inebriated, too. <laughs> like, well, inebriated or at- certainly sky <laughs> high, attitude-wise, of course. No, All right. Especially, especially, no, especially at 41, man, and, and you got to wake up at 4.40 a.m. Like, I got to get my rest, too. You know All what right. I'm saying? But at the same time, Kev, you said inadvisably by Ron Rivera, Letting the letting the cat out the bag, Ron Rivera been been praised for rebuilding the culture, doing this, that, and the third. It was easy to rebuild a culture. All you had to do was not be no creepo. You know what I'm saying? But he did help transition. But the culture is a lot of tattletaling, a lot of people with their panties in a bunch. When somebody yell at him, Erg Bieniemy got his coaching style from a coach that he admired, you know what I'm saying? Because I've coached, you coach, Kevin, you adopt 
different type of styles that work for you and that you admire. Eric the enemy almost won the damn Heisman, man. So when he get a chance to coach, that's how he going to coach the way he admired the coaches that pushed him to the limit. You know what I'm saying? And that's the type of culture I'm trying to push up out of here. That tattletelling, that letting the locker room talk up out of here. You know what I'm saying? You you talk about he didn't get a chance from any other team. Oh, when he do finally get a chance from Washington, he's going to try to show everything out the bag. And like us, I stopped watching a couple weeks ago because I seen the writing on the wall and I need to go make some money instead of watching the damn commanders because they stink. And there ain't no hope for us. But he's in the he's in the building, and he knows that. Yeah, we ain't gonna make the playoffs. Even if we do, we ain't got a shot. So you know what? Let me try this play. Let me try that play. That's why a lot of stuff sometimes don't be working. You know, you gotta get you gotta use that playbook and see what's not gonna work and what is gonna work. So I ain't even mad at him for all that. I'm I like how McLaurin has been meeting with him lately. You know what I'm saying? Because it might have rubbed Terry wrong, but that's the culture that Ron created as being able to make the player think, you can come to me when you got a problem. But then Ron throw that out there. See, Ron doing a lot. He think now he's going to use Erg the enemy, little, little coordinator situation and development. He's using that now to try to be job security. I really got a problem with how he uh, really Ron thinks. Ron's aware of his job security. He has none. They're He's all they're all going to be gone. Now, what you did say, I I we we called it out. I I thought it was stupid. You that that should have been kept in house. Um, by the way, your point yeah. of they felt comfortable going to Ron about these things. Well, if he gave him the offensive coordinator job and the assistant head coach title, they shouldn't have been going to Ron. They should have been going directly to him. Those offensive no, players should have. But Ron calling it out was really, really a big mistake. A big mistake. But I'm going to tell you this, G. Given that you know when you get a, a new style and it's an abrupt one there were there was going to be a lot of talking regardless yeah. at you know during yeah. the course of the year but ron doing it publicly was was really um no. was inconsiderate kev. of 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 eric kev. In, in the moment kev kev it was some sucker life living tattletelling trying to throw this new dude under the bus and make yourself look like i'm the i'm the confidant of new owners but yeah. the thing is yeah yeah nobody likes change Change is hard to adapt to, but the whole time you should have kept that. That's the coach I want. Keep all that in-house. But you know and I know I've coached a lot, and I know you got to know how to talk to these people. You got to know how to talk their language. And you can't coach everybody the same. But my father taught me at 10, 11 years old, if I keep yelling at your silly ass, that means I see something in you. If I stop talking to you at practice, Use a bum. So there's that's no, my there, thing. there's no doubt you and I share the same experience as far as that's concerned. But I think you hit on it at the beginning, and I, I want to get some other calls in here. G, thank you. And that is, I don't think there's a lot of flexibility in his style, um, and because of that, you know, you're going to have some people that you know are fine with it, and others that are not, and. I don't know enough about the style. I'm not going to sit here and speak to the style other than what I read from the story. Okay, we just know that this group that's never won anything that has certainly uh, you know, 
been, I, I don't want to, coddled would be the wrong word because I have no idea if that was really the style prior to that. But they had not had anybody like Eric Bieniemy in the building, that's for sure. And it was, a, it, 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 it was cold water in the face. Like, wake up, this is the way it's going to be. Beyond that, I don't I don't know what the style was, if it was too um, caustic, if it was too demeaning, if it was too critical, if there wasn't enough, you know, in this day and age of compliments to constructive criticism. You know, John Wooden's book, for young people to hear criticism, you got to give them four compliments before you tell them what they did wrong. I don't know. Um, but clearly, there's been a style issue with some, if not a lot of people out there. Bob in D.C. Bob, go ahead. Thanks for holding. Uh, I agree with G, man. I kind of think I think uh, Ron is trying to get him a front office position and kind of throw trying to throw Eric Bieniemy under the bus. And I, I really want to know. Do the well, defensive that, players what we're talking man? about with respect to Ron and what he said that happened during training camp. Let's not forget that. The article says that Ron has given Eric Bieniemy all of the autonomy that he promised that he'd give to him and has supported him in that building in his style. If he support him, then why are players coming out like this? They don't do what it do, on the defensive mean? side of the ball. They, they don't do none of this on the defensive side of the ball, and they didn't got 45 on them last two games. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. Yep, we have not heard. We didn't hear a lot of grumbling about Jack Del Rio. That's for sure, Bob. I agree with that. What else? Bob's gone. Dave in Alexandria. Dave, go ahead. Kevin, how you doing? Hey, Dave. What's going on, man? Hey, uh, one happy holidays to you and your family you too. to start. Uh, yeah, I. After watching the uh, enemy and company uh, offensively, I don't see him making in-game adjustments, uh, and which uh, and uh, with them uh, rolling uh, Howell out just like Gibbs did with uh, uh, Theismann, uh, he can't make the adjustments. Uh, you know, I look at the two giant games. Wink Martindale gave him a lesson on NFL football. He couldn't make the adjustments and uh which is unfortunate. That's not only uh, that's that's a team uh deficiency, both quarterback and offensive line. Uh, they've got to do something. I think you're right, Kevin, that the enemy is gone. Uh I don't know where they're going to go if it's going to be GM and uh head coach or whatever the or coach centric whatever the most recent terms are, but uh, we're starting all over again. Unfortunately, I hate yeah. to see it happen. And uh, well, I uh, you, you hate to see the start all over again. With. You'd prefer to, to move on with this staff? No, I, I know you didn't mean that, but no, I no, no, I'm actually no, looking no, forward no, no, to no, no. this start because this will be thanks, Dave, for the call. This will be a different restart. This will be a restart done with you know, first of all, more intelligent people. Uh, making the decisions. And I think, based on what we certainly have learned about Josh Harris, uh, people who will hire people and 
hire people and let them do their job. Um, we're in a much different situation with this organization than we've ever been. I'm looking forward to the offseason, very much so. By the way, I want to make one thing clear on what Dave said. I did not say or report or anything that Eric Bieniemy is not going to be back next year. It would just be a strong hunch based on the staff being replaced and more likely than not an offensive head coach coming in that there probably won't be a spot for Eric Bieniemy. You know, he'll... But you know, there, there's a line in here, and I'm, I want to I want to read it, um, and I think I did read it already, where you know it was from an NFC executive who said essentially that um, where is it? I think he's probably helped his profile. He took over a tough situation there in Washington, and he's worked hard to correct it. They needed a culture shock there. I think he's probably helped his profile. So maybe Eric Bieniemy off of this season with, you know, I think most people would say objectively, Sam Howell has, you know, been more than what a lot of people thought he would be. And Bieniemy gets a lot of credit for that. Let's finish up with John in Virginia. John, finish it up for us. Go ahead. Uh, Kevin, so aren't we finding out that management, this is what I'm thinking. Management made the wrong pick in getting Eric Bieniemy. Well, it wasn't management; it was Ron. Oh, oh, really? Well, so he gave him too much power then, because there, like, didn't you just say we threw the ball a hundred times more than any other team in the NFL? I think it's fifty-nine so or something like that. Yeah, well, and we we played one more game than the next team. But yes, we've we've got more pass attempts than any team in the league. Okay, so I think, well, and then why did we not have a chance to win the game against the Dolphins? I think it's one play and one play call that took away the chance to beat them. Which really? play do you think that was? Oh, uh, th- th- I mean, uh, to me it was probably decided on, th- on the third play from scrimmage from Miami when they lined up in man coverage with Quan Martin on Tariq Hill. Is that what you were going to say? No, 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 no. It's, it's the enemy. Who made okay. the call on the quick out to the right that they got the uh, pick six? It was already 10 to nothing. You do know that, right? They were already getting well, their ass kicked. I, but you notice what I said. A chance to win the game. Uh-huh. Right. So who made that call? Yeah, but who made the throw? I mean, they, they've been running quick bubbles and quick game for a while. Sam, they're, they're, I, my personal view is there was nothing wrong with the call. What the enemy, the enemy's taught uh, Howell everything he knows. I mean, he threw into his, uh, what, the way I saw it on television. There's like three defenders over there and maybe three, three commanders, but he just tossed the ball because that's right the to call. Him. He, does, he doesn't think on his own that well yet. Well, and then so you, ha- you have more of an issue with Howell than the enemy. No, 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 no. The call was terrible. Okay. You don't give you who's still a rookie that kind of call that early. Well, a bubble screen is one of the easiest things, especially when you can't protect and you can't drop them back. The quick game's well, actually what's worked for them offensively over the last five to six weeks. Well, I don't know, but how has become a pick six machine, and I think it's partly because <laughs> yeah. of the calls by the enemy. Now, oh, here's what I'm saying. Here's what's been bugging me. It's it's time of possession. It's ball control. They don't seem to do any of that. Taylor Heineke did that much better 
Robinson and Gibson, that's what we were last year, really. It was Robinson and Gibson. Yeah, with much di- much Gibson different with approach, Gibson. no doubt, John. Much yeah, different approach yeah. last year. I got to run. I got a guest coming up. I appreciate the call. But, yeah, no, this the, Ron was very, with Scott, very intent on being a, a balanced team, being a powerful running team, um, possessing the ball, uh, moving the chains and in the runs that they had, last, I mean, they ran. They had forty nine rushes in their game against Philadelphia on Monday Night Football last year when they pulled off the upset. No, a completely different offensive approach this year for sure. Um, and part of it was, I think, they thought they had a more capable quarterback. But a lot of it was also some long game and getting Sam, you know, um, sort of uh, baptized by fire, really. Uh, and they've done that. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be great for the long term or not. We still have four more games. Let's see how he calls those. Up next, Charge, Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980, theteam980.com. One of my favorite conversations every week. I look forward to this. 11.25, running late. Sorry, Charge. Uh, but no uh, that's no our problem. fault. But you tell me if you need to bail early, but Paul Charchian's with us every week. He is, of course, one of the preeminent fantasy football experts in our country. He's got podcasts called Fantasy Football Weekly and Chop. You can listen to those wherever you get your podcasts, and you can follow him on Twitter at Paul Charchian. So you are in Vegas for the Vikings-Raiders game. Uh, Yeah. Good for you. Good weekend. You're going to go to the Sphere and and see you too? I know you're a big music yeah, guy. Yeah, I am. Um, don't love you too, but I like you too. I'd like to, but I don't want to pay two thousand dollars <laughs> to see you two in the sphere. So you know, I I think I'll wait a little while, and uh, you know, maybe we can get uh, Frank Sinatra Jr. in the sphere at some point, and that ticket ought to be about forty bucks. <laughs> I'll go see Sinatra <laughs> with you. That would be quite the story, though, wouldn't it? Um, it really would. Sinatra Jr., he, a very, very bitter guy. And I remember yeah. like when I first came to Vegas, Kevin, so this is like 30 years ago now, um, he would play for free at Four Queens downtown. And so you'd be gambling, and they had a stage right off the floor, the gambling floor. Yeah. And he's just on the stage singing to basically nobody because everybody else is gambling and it's the sound of slot machines going and you know 21 and people cheering and everything he's trying to sing over that into the gambling floor nobody listening and he couldn't have been less interested (laughs) to be there it was (laughs) it's got to be that it just had to be an all-time low point for frank sinatra jr so where are you staying where do you stay when you're in vegas well, it just so happens that I'm, I'm, I'm here with my radio station from Minneapolis, KFA. Oh, okay. We have a diehard listener who is a casino host at Planet Hollywood, and he puts us up for all of our station events that gotcha. we do uh, around this. Uh, yeah, around this. So, yeah, Planet Hollywood, which is fine. Great location right in the heart of the Strip. And, you know, yep. everything's, I, like, I like Planet Hollywood. It's good. Yeah. Um, I was, there's just something about being there for a football weekend, and I've not done a football weekend in Vegas in a while. I was out there over the summer, um, but uh, have not done a football weekend there. All right. Can I I tell you what's changed uh, from the football Sundays of yore to now is you can't, you have to pay to sit in the sports book now. 
Oh, you know, yeah. in the old days, you know, uh, in the old days, yeah, in the old you know, days, it was you know, first come, even, first serve. Although there right. were areas that were roped off for certain players. Yes, right, right. Now, in many cases, the whole thing is effectively roped off, and you've got to meet some spending threshold, or have you know, be a rated player or whatever before you can get in there. And it's, I don't know, I mean, it's the fun out of it for me. I didn't, you know, I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch Sunday football in my room. You know, I want to be there with a million other maniacs oh, who are cheering 100%. for the under. You know, you, you know what's yeah. funny though, Charge, is that as many Sundays and as many weekends as there was a group of like eight to twelve of us that would do it. You know, a minimum of twice a year for many, many mm. years. I never once placed a sports b- a bet in a sports book because why? why would you? I mean, I I already had. A book, and so I continued to play the same way, Um, although I do think just for fun, sometimes we would get in late on a Friday night, and the last game on the board was like sharks, you know, (laughs) uh, sharks, ducks. You know, and so we yeah. we'd have to have some action to watch that game, um, and uh, and maybe that's when I would fire uh, at the actual window. But um, you know, the circa uh, I did something for the circa when I was out there, and uh, my good friends Tim Murray and Aaron Oster both work out there. Tim does a show for the Veasan Network, and um, I, yeah, I and, do Tim. Uh, I do Tim's show almost every week. By the way, yeah, yeah. So Tim does his show from the circa um, mm-hmm. with. Uh, with uh, Sean King, former former Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I was out there for the first time this summer because I, I went by there to to meet some of the people from the Circa, and that yeah. Circa, the you know beach pool stadium swim thing yeah. is really That's amazing, right? It's pretty amazing. I, I I don't know if that would be my choice for Sunday football watching every week because I imagine there is a <laughs> lot of stuff going on there, which is fun. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, man, it is quite the scene there. What a scene, the Circa. Uh, but, for those you know, of you – I want to see, I wanna yeah. see you poolside at the Circa watching all the games, wearing your Speedo. I can put a little oil on you. I think, no, you, thank you, know, you. I think we could spend a Sunday at, at Circa. I think, I think no? the minimum tat required would be like four to five, so four and a half. The over under on on tats and I'd be way under on that. <laughs> um, but uh, it is an incredible scene with those video screens and the boards outside yeah. pool. Um, it uh, if you're younger than Church and I am, you, that's where you want to go. It's downtown, but go to the Circa and watch games in Vegas at the stadium For sure. swim. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so what do we have? Uh, this is the worst Thursday night game. Uh, tonight, there have been a lot of bad ones, but this one is particularly awful. You know, the total is thirty, lowest total in thirty years. Nineteen ninety-three, Cincinnati, New England was at thirty and a half. And actually, the the other game this weekend, the Browns and Jags, has a super low total too. Yeah, that's right. That's in the thirties too. I think it's like thirty-three, thirty-one. Uh, I think so. Also, yeah, thirty-one. It's uh, it, tonight we get the quarterbacking duel uh, between Bailey Zappi and Sad Trombonski. It's <laughs> I, I don't know what Trubisky, we as for those of you correct. who don't know, yeah. It's, if, I don't know what we as humanity did to bring this upon ourselves. I don't know. I mean, we made uh, two two broke girls. I mean, we did that. But I don't know what else we could have done that really meant that we should be subjected to this tonight. It's the kind of game that only a better could love and only a fantasy player. You know, 
And even then, there aren't that many fantasy-relevant players in this game, but we're the only ones, I think, that could possibly find a reason to watch this. Well, is there anything, actually, if you've got a Warren or if you've got a, a, a somebody on Pittsburgh, I mean, do you have any trust that this there's going to be yards uh, gained, uh, forward yards and points scored? I like one angle in this whole game, and just one. Ramondre Stevenson out with a high ankle sprain. Zeke, it's all it's Zeke's going to get so much workload in this game. So they have no functional quarterback in New England. You know, Belichick has turned into a run first, run second coach. Over the past three weeks, New England ranks fifth in rushing attempts. Over the past three weeks, they rank number three in rushing yards. Um, you know, Zeke hasn't looked good, but with enough volume, I think he's absolutely startable here. And opposing runners that have had at least 17 carries against Pittsburgh are averaging 110 total yards and 0.9 touchdowns per game. So Zeke's the one guy that I just feel like on just sheer volume, that's really startable in this game. You know, quickly, not that I want well on the worst game of the week and one of the worst games on paper of the year. Um, but Bailey Zappi is terrible. Like, but, but I <laughs> yeah. say that because I want to lead into this. When Jake Browning came in against Baltimore on Thursday Night Football a few weeks ago, he was terrible. When he started against the Steelers, mm-hmm. awful. And then he just put together one of the most magical performances of the NFL season. Yeah. And then yeah. going back to Josh Dobbs. Anybody that had seen Josh Dobbs before this season was like, well, you can't ever be in a position to have to start him in a game. And then all of a sudden he started to ball out a little bit in Arizona and then had two incredibly memorable moments for the Vikings. So maybe this is the weekend you want Bailey Zappi with the way things have been going. Because every like Tommy DeVito is going to start for the Giants. He was so awful first glimpse. But I'll tell you what, against Washington, he hit some big plays. Um, and he's got the trust of Dable over, yeah. Everybody hits big plays against Washington. That can't be a barometer for success, unfortunately. (laughs) It can't be. And this league has got us, we've got Bailey Zappi, Zach Wilson, you know, the, I don't know, thrice-benched Zach Wilson back, C.J. Beathard is starting, Mitch Trubisky, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Tommy DeVito, and Desmond Ritter, Josh Dobbs, Aiden O'Connell. I mean, we're, you know, this, this happened at this yeah. time last year, too. We get to this, you know, they added these extra games on the end, and teams are just, you know, they're staggering to the finish of, an, of a marathon season with these, you know, mostly totally non-functional quarterbacks. It's bad for the product. Yeah, I mean, non-functional except that, for whatever reason, DeVito stepped up and had a decent game. Jake Browning had a great game. Dobbs came out of nowhere, and I'm just wondering who the next one is going to be. Um, Look, Joe Flacco actually played really well last week until the interception, which was a big interception in the game. Uh, I would imagine that, you know, he's he's the best they've had by far uh, this year. Um, All right, so... Let's start with Mahomes. Not that we're starting with Mahomes. Let's continue. What's going on with Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs offense? When I think, or when you think, of long bombs in the Mahomes era, like, you know, last five years, when I think of, if you think of long bombs, which quarterback's the trigger man for those throws? Mahomes. Mahomes. 
Get this. Here's where he ranks on passes of 20 or more yards this year. In completions, he's 20th. 20th. Completion percentage, Patrick Mahomes is 32nd in the NFL. In passer rating, he's 36th. That is dead last among qualified quarterbacks. In touchdown-to-interception ratio, Patrick Mahomes, 36th, dead last. Over the past five weeks, Patrick Mahomes in fantasy points per game is quarterback 21, just below Baker Mayfield. And it's because he's not getting those deep balls that were salvaging drives and you know turning something from nothing into something gigantic. And that had been... That had been a lot of what Mahomes had been had been surviving on was good play throughout the game, but then like three just electric bomb plays that pick up fifty yards and Tyreek Hill screaming down the field and you know that stuff. When you hit those big plays, it masks some of the other things that haven't come together this year for Patrick Mahomes with the set of receivers that he's got, and it probably doesn't get better this week, Scott, Kevin. Uh, Buffalo allows the shortest A dot in the league, the shortest average distance of throw, just 6.3 yards. That's it. So I don't think the deep passing is going to come together this week either. And Patrick Mahomes has stopped being just like an automatic every week starter. That I mean, that's the you know you get the the, the Chiefs and Bills at four twenty five Cowboys Eagles on Sunday night. So we get a, a really good you know late afternoon mm-hmm. into night uh, of football. Um, I I actually think Buffalo's got a chance to win. I mean, I think we are headed towards the first year of Mahomes having to win road playoff games to advance. Yeah. I mean, they'll get a home play. They're going to win the division, so they'll get one at home. But after that, like I, I think the Bills have a legit chance to win that game Sunday. Oh, I mean, after sure. watching what yeah. Jordan Love did uh, to them, I mean – does it get a lot better for the Bills or you know, continue to get better for, for Josh Allen this week against Kansas City? It's a good defense. It usually is a good defense, and that's what we've been surviving is on their pass defense especially. But there's a chance that that's not going to be good enough here. Uh, Josh Allen is playing well. It's not, you know, for, you know, for whatever ups and downs that they've had mostly, it hasn't been on Josh Allen. It hasn't been Josh Allen's fault. And because the Bills can attack you so many different ways with so many different players, like Legereus Sneed is the cornerback for Kansas City that's just turned into just an absolute shutdown guy. So, but even if he takes yeah. up Steph Diggs, could this be one of these blow-up Gabe Davis games Gabe Davis. who has tortured the Chiefs in the past? Last two right. games against the, Chief, uh, the Chiefs, he's got six touchdowns. So, you know, there's a real scenario here where they where – Buffalo wins with the, even if you take out Stephon Diggs, they've got a number of other ways like Dalton Kincaid, James Cook. They can, go, they can go win for sure. Do you like Gabe Davis this week over Rasheed Rice? I do. I do. Uh, so the Gabe Davis thing, and I hinted at it here. So you're breaking up a little bit, Charge. I know you're in, 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 the, uh, in, ho- in the hotel. We're, we're, you're, you've been breaking up a little bit here. Yeah, sorry about it. It's, you know, I'm in the bowels of Planet Hollywood right now. Which okay, makes it a little we got you. Cheap. We got you now. You but sound good. Can hear me now. Okay, so good. You, right, you, good. you'd go. You um, go, Davis over Rice. I would because uh, Legarius Sneed's going to be on Diggs. That puts Davis on the other corner, who Jalen Watson, who is a far, far better option. And we've seen a lot of cases where, like against Philly a couple of weeks ago, AJ Brown gets one catch for eight yards. Devonta Smith on the other side of the field gets. Six catches for 100 yards. So that's, you know, I love Gabe Davis in these exact spots. 
what what's your strategy on as an example if you've got Cup and Nakua? Do you start them both? I think Cup has lost the benefit of the doubt at this point, um, which is hard for us to say. Nakua is the guy, and Cup, in fairness, he's running on two bad ankles, um, and that's been a struggle for him. Now they got Baltimore this week, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm tamping down expectations for both of them. Baltimore might be the best defense going in the league overall. So this is a, this is a, and particularly against the pass, where they've been terrific. So this is a tricky spot, and I, I, don't, I, I don't have a starting grade on Cooper Cup, which I, I hate saying that, but I, I don't right now. Puka remains startable just based on the fact that he's been a week in and week out contributor here. Two players I want to ask you about. Justin Jefferson. If you own Justin Jefferson, what are you yeah. doing this week? He's back against the Raiders. Let me emphasize that he's at full health, not even on the injury report. So, you know, they took – eight weeks off his hamstring injury. So, you know, he's in really good shape that way. Josh Dobbs is back at the starting uh, starting quarterback. Now, as a downside, he's, he has never played with Justin Jefferson, obviously. So, you know, th- we don't know if those two are going to be an instant connection or if that's going to take some time. You know, he has the instant connection with T.J. Hawkinson, and his value remains very, very high. But this whole Viking offense was designed and crafted all offseason to go through Justin Jefferson, and it was Remember, in his first four games when he was healthy, he was on pace for 136 yards per game. He was outpacing, you know, Tyreek Hill is currently on pace to set the all-time receiving record by yardage, and Justin Jefferson was outpacing him in that first month of games before the injury. Now, Dobbs is in Kirk Cousins, um, and the Raiders are a competent, they're not great, but they're a competent pass defense, but you pretty much have to go back to Justin Jefferson, knowing this offense goes through him, and number one receivers almost always get paid against the Raiders. And then what do you do if you've got Calvin Ridley um, with 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 probably Trevor yeah. Lawrence out for a little bit? Yeah, and the Browns on the docket, right? right? So, you know, speaking of just impossible matchups, the Browns' pass defense, absolutely elite. When, you know, we were talking about the Ravens, how good they are. Browns, it's like neck and neck. They're fantastic, so... You know, I'm I'm kind of out on Ridley Kirk with Kirk being gone, Christian Kirk being gone. You know, in theory, that siphons more catches other places, but it also means the defense can put more resources against him. And I don't, you know, the beauty of Christian Kirk was he was good enough that defenses had to account for him in the middle of the field. And now you take Kirk off the field, and I think Ridley actually, I think it's, I think this is uh, subtraction by subtraction for Ridley. So I, I don't love the matchup, and I I don't like the fact that they're shorthanded without Kirk. Saquon Barkley Monday night against the Packers or Javante Williams against that Charger defense? Well, stupid Javante Williams, can you score a touchdown? I mean, I know. You know, at the end of the day, you know, it's fantasy. We, you know, we want touchdowns. and you know, I, I love that he's the vast majority of like that whole offense, and you know, they're one of the lowest passing teams, one of the highest running teams in the league. Williams gets tons of work. No touchdowns. Chargers are giving up 135 total yards per game, so I feel confident that the yards are going to be there. And they are giving, they're letting opposing backs catch some passes too, and so he might chip in something there. So I, I'd like to believe that he's going to break his maiden on this season's uh, end zone, but I, I can't tell you for sure that we're going to get that out of Javante Williams. So I've got, I've got him as RB11, so I still like him, and I think the yardage will be there. Just, God, can we just can we get a touchdown? And you got Barkley ahead of him. I have Barkley six spots behind him. Mm. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I, this is not a matchup that I that I love for him, but it's uh, it's it's a decent it's it's a middle of the pack matchup for Barkley. 
I don't mind right. Mark Barkley here. It's we're coming Packers down the stretch. Middle of the pack run defense. We're coming yeah. down the stretch in the league I'm in with you. Um, just mm-hmm. five five teams left, and yeah, still standing, barely. I know. How do you? How does it feel? <laughs> it feels good. It feels good. I'm just trying yeah. to tweak my roster here because we got injuries and and we got some bad matchups for some of my players this week. Um, there's no. There's never a bad matchup for Tariq Hill. Uh, there's never no, a bad no. matchup for, <laughs> really, for Travis really. Kelsey. So those are two players that are pretty consistent for me. Um, but anyway, got, uh, enjoy got, the weekend. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just going to say I, I got knocked out in your league on uh, last week. I know and. You did. I I blame Austin freaking Eckler. You know, it just one of those guys, he's too good to bench, and then just epic dud last week. Uh, and that hurt me, and I left James Conner on my bench, who, who would have salvaged my uh, season if I, I had started him. Uh, so, yeah, that's Austin Eckler, the guillotine league assassin uh, this season. Great job. As always, appreciate it. Enjoy the Vegas weekend. Stay yeah, thank trouble. you for putting up with these these sound quality. No, I mean uh, from, we we, we do with you because, because even even every third word is worth <laughs> hanging oh, golden. on with Paul Church. Yeah, All right, Church, thanks. All right, thank Appreciate you, it. my friend. Bye bye. All right, Steve Sands is going to join us at noon. John Rom, six hundred million dollars to jump to the Live Tour. Sands will want to talk more about Sam Howell. Uh, than John Rahm. So we'll do a little bit of it all uh, coming up next. Kevin Sheehan Show, the Team 980, theteam980.com. We are free and live on the Odyssey app. As Kevin just mentioned, John Rahm has reportedly agreed to join the Live Tour, an official announcement expected later this week. But the rumored number is between $450 and $600 million that got Rahm to make the jump. Out of college football, according to sources, Michigan is working on a contract extension for one Jim Harbaugh. The contract rumored to be worth $11 million per year over five years. If it's just a flat 11, that would make him the second highest paid coach in all of college football, Nick Saban making $11.4 million per year. The main hurdle in the remaining uh, commitment is going to be in writing that Jim Harbaugh cannot pursue an NFL job this cycle, so Michigan would lock him down officially for five years. Juan Soto, officially a member of the New York Yankees. He was acquired last night from the San Diego Padres. And that's what's trending.